0: Welcome to Dale Borglum's Healing at the Edge. We are very happy to share with you Dale's profound insight and open heart. Please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dale to support this podcast. And what I would like to talk about today is faith and devotion You may remember that our last meeting was about spiritual healing, and we talked about not asking God for favors, but going to a place of wholeness, that spiritual healing is not about looking at differences and places where things are stuck, but being able to be with wholeness in ourselves and with those around us particularly when there's suffering involved clearly the path to seeing this wholeness goes through the heart goes through a sense of faith and devotion and once again this is a slightly difficult talk for me because there's the whole notion of buddhist faith and then there's the notion of theistic devotion to a deity or to uh, a guru or something like that. So we're going to intertwine these two threads of thought. I think they, they basically involve exactly the same place in the heart. And beyond that, in, in Tibetan Buddhism, they say very clearly that the path to non-duality runs through the heart, that without devotion and compassion, it's very, very difficult to rest in non-duality. And that non-duality is exactly the place from which spiritual healing is done. Here is a quote from one of my favorite saints, St. Therese of Lousseau. She said, I felt it better to speak to God than about him. I felt it better to speak to God than about him. And today we're going to be talking about God which is one step removed. It's a kind of an intellectual conversation about faith and devotion. So that to the extent we can make this a living experience, that when we're exploring these ideas together, we can actually go into the love and, and the faith and the devotion, and so much the better, of course. From a Buddhist perspective, we can have faith in the Four Noble Truths. We can have faith in how mindfulness leads to wisdom, which spirals into letting go of self-clinging, which spirals into more wisdom, etc., etc. The Four Noble Truths, as you know, are there's suffering in life, suffering is caused by attachment, let go of attachment, no more suffering, and the Eightfold Noble Path is the way to let go of attachment. That's something we can have faith in. If you really... Look at this carefully, you'll begin to see in your own life that when you pay attention to how suffering arises, wisdom will begin to arise. We can have faith in the Dharma, we can have faith in the path, we can have faith in what Buddha said. Not because, not because he said it, but because by investigating it ourselves, it works. So we begin to go from conditioning to longing for love to love itself. The Buddha said that the awakening of faith or devotion is the dawn of realization, like a great life rising and shining within the heart. Without devotion, you're never going to feel any intimacy between yourself and the teaching or the lineage masters. The importance of devotion was illustrated by Buddha when he likened it to our hands which gather up all spiritual qualities. Buddha also compared devotion to our feet which are necessary to convey us along the path to Buddhahood. Guru Padmasambhava, the greatest saint in Tibetan Buddhism explained the power of devotion by saying that if your devotion is characterized by confidence then realization will arise instantly within you. If your devotion is characterized by confidence, you will immediately be realized. So we all have some devotion, and we have partial devotion. And what what Padmasambhava is saying, who is an incarnation of the Buddha, what he is saying is that if you have complete confidence in your devotion, you will be realized. (laughs) So apparently... None of us have complete confidence. But what we're saying here is that this this combination of devotion and confidence, faith, is, is crucial to the path. And even from a Buddhist standpoint, if you do not have a theistic bone in your body, if you're not somebody who feels comfortable when I start throwing the word God around, which is going to happen really, really soon, then still this whole conversation can be brought back to this notion of faith in the Dharma, faith in the teaching, having confidence in in the path. So that what we're talking about now, if you go back to our healing paradigm, we're talking about having motivation, motivation for practice. And by realizing how important devotion is, by noticing how when we don't have faith, in the Four Noble Truths. We don't have faith in our own practice. We don't have faith in the the process of mindfulness revealing how suffering arises in the path to freedom. If we don't have that faith, then practice stagnates. And going back to our talk of a couple weeks ago when we were talking about spiritual healing, at the end of the path, being able to be a non-duality that really depends on having devotion to the path, devotion to God. The great Saint Ramakrishna, he said, so many people shed a jug full of tears for their, their spouse. So many people sh- shed a jug full of tears for their money. Who sheds a jug full of tears for God? He said, if you were to cry as much for God as you do for relationships and money, you'd be enlightened right away. (laughs) Very good point. In the Bible, it says, ask and you shall receive. Last week, we were talking about not asking, but now we're starting at the beginning of the path, invocation stage, embodied mindfulness. And from the standpoint of the heart, ask and you shall receive. Can we begin by actually having faith that from our heart, from a place of devotion, we can can begin to ask for deeper devotion, ask for connection. And we can begin to say a mantra or a prayer from that stage. We can begin. So like when I sit down to meditate, I often just say a short prayer with words or without words that may my faith increase, may during this practice period, can I begin to practice from my heart? Can I practice from a place of devotion rather than from my head? Can I drop down? Can the mind drop down into the heart? So the question is, what do you have faith in? Maybe you have some deep experience of God. Maybe you have some experience of, of Christ or, or Buddha. Or maybe uh, you just have faith in the Dharma. But to really ask yourself, what do you have faith in? You're, you're not yet completely at this stage in relationship, but you're asking to have that relationship. You're looking at what do I have faith and how can I deepen that sense of faith? How can I deepen devotion right now? What are you willing to be touched by? What are you willing to receive? And in the beginning, from a, from a somatic standpoint, it's about being willing to be grounded To trust that the mother is supporting us, the mother earth, the earth element, the mother uh, with a capital M, that it's all the mother. It's all we're all the child of the divine mother. And we can we can trust that support, whether it's a somatic sense of your feet are on the ground, your, your butt is on the couch or a more devotional sense. And Maharaji said that if if you love God, you overcome all impurities. So you don't have to fix each individual impurity, but just by loving God, by deepening devotion, the impurities will fall away. We can spend so much time trying to fix each individual place where we're feeling stuck. So devotion brings energy and interest to practice. If you really feel a sense of devotion, you look forward to meditating, you look forward to practicing, rather than feeling it's some kind of job or duty you have to get rid of the places where you're stuck. We, we tend to protect our heart by sh- shutting the heart down. We're, we're resentful of other people, we're, we're judging other people, and of course, who that harms us ourselves. It's not harming the other person. So that can we begin to water the seeds of our innate tenderness? Now we're talking about being centered. Can you really be in your body enough that you have the strength to embark upon this task which requires enormous courage? What is our motivation? Can we gain confidence in our innate tenderness? even to the point of feeling gratitude for those of us who are bothering us, for those of us who are uh, problematic in our lives. So if, if devotion is deep enough, then we will be grateful for the, the difficulties. So that's the invocation stage. We're reaching out to create this relationship, to begin to have devotion to something. We're motivated. Now we're asking to have devotion. We're we're beginning to create relationship, but we don't really feel it yet. But as that deepens, then there's this beginning to have this juicy connection. And whether you're having some deity or or God figure or guru or something, or whether it's just faith in the Dharma, in, in the heart stage, the, the practice is beginning to, to change, that now we have this relationship going on. And it's like having a lover that's always there. And it's the best lover you could ever imagine. It's the perfect lover, because it's everything. It's the beloved can only be everything. And we, we then have this opportunity of surrendering into love, dying into love. Ramakrishna once again said, Devotion to God increases in the same proportion as attachment to sense objects decrease. Devotion to God increases in the same proportion as attachment to sense objects decrease. Now, that doesn't mean we can't enjoy sense objects, but it means we're not attached to them. We're not lost in them. You can still enjoy a glass of wine and a great meal and a wonderful sunset and, a, and somebody you love a lot, but there's not the grasping. We're letting go of holding on and that it, it tends to then increase the sense of devotion. Oscar Wilde said, hearts are meant to be broken. Do we try to protect our heart? Do we say, my heart got hurt before, I feel this grief, and I'm, I'm protecting myself. I don't want that to happen again. But really, the heart is meant to be broken. It's, it's, it's an exploration of again and again, letting the heart be broken. And in fact, the Hasids have this wonderful saying that, that there is nothing more whole than a broken heart. There is nothing more whole than a broken heart. Can we trust the innate tenderness, the innate loving nature of our heart, even though again and again, we're wounded in the opening because of our conditioning, because of the places where we're holding. In in Hinduism, there's this deity Kali, who's my favorite female deity. And Kali is really, really ugly until you love her. And if you love her, she reveals her beauty. Kali feeds on impurity. She feeds on attachment. And as long as that's frightening to us, as long as we're pulling back from loving the transformative, destructive letting go of attachment, Kali is a pretty scary girlfriend. But when we love that, she reveals how beautiful she really is. So that often in Tibetan Tantra and uh, Hindu Tantra, these deities are described as the wrathful deities. But really, a much more appropriate adjective would be fierce. Wrathful implies angry. Kali's not angry in the sense that she's angry at you. Maybe she's angry at the attachment. But it's more this fierce love, this fierce compassion that is devouring attachment if we open to her and yield to that, that uh, destructive quality. Here's one of my favorite poems by Kabir. Oh friend, I love you. Think this over carefully. If you are in love, then why are you asleep? If you have found him, give yourself to him, take him. Why do you lose track of him again and again? If you are about to fall into heavy sleep anyway, why waste time smoothing the bed and arranging the pillows? Kabir will tell you the truth. This is what love is like. Suppose you had to cut off your head and give it to someone else. What difference would that make? Cutting off our head obviously means letting go of attachment to the mind. How much are we attached to the mind as opposed to how much do we have faith in the quality of the heart? How much are we attached to what's going on in our thoughts as opposed to devotion to something that transcends thoughts, that doesn't change? So that as this relationship deepens, We can begin to experience grace in each moment, receive grace in each moment. Ramakrishna said, intense love of God is the only thing needed. And we could translate that into more Buddhist language, that intense love of the Dharma, intense love of practice, is really the only thing that's needed. We can have all these complicated conversations about different kinds of practices. But if your motivation is strong enough, if your yearning is strong enough, This relationship will happen. It will purify anything that is still standing between you and surrendering into realization. As the heart stage deepens, as we go into the heart that has the qualities of openness, spaciousness, connectedness, warmth, those are the qualities of the open heart, spaciousness, warmth, connectedness. Then, in a very natural way, it moves into the tantric stage, the empowerment stage. It's the difference between tantra and yoga. Yoga teaches gradually eliminating obstacles through control. And in the first stages of Buddhism, we're, we're doing that too. We're watching the mind. We're, we're controlling things. We're deepening concentration. In tantra... We're yearning to connect with everything, even the difficult, even chaos. We're not trying to get away from chaos. And in fact, in in Tantra, we can have devotion even to the chaotic, even to the wrathful or ferocious demons. Because the, the juicier, the more difficult the emotion, the greater the possibility there is for awakening. Can we have devotion, even when there is anger, even when there is sadness, even when there is fear? Can we go into those feelings and realize that they are faces of the beloved? So that rather than this more gradual process of awareness and compassion and wearing away obstacles, we're, we're plunging right into the depth of the obstacle and seeing it no longer as an obstacle, but as something that we can merge with, something that we can realize as part of God's face. Confucius even said, everything is beauty, but not everyone sees it. So we're talking now about the difference between regular devotion and tantric devotion. In regular devotion, there's a me who's devoted to God, and usually it's a a loving, pleasant relationship. In tantric devotion, we realize that I am the deity too. And that everything is the deity, not just this one form of the the deity, but the anger and uh, Republican politics and the pandemic. That all of these are things that we can have a a devotional relationship with, that we can open to in a way of not seeing them as problematic, but something that we, we can relate to from a place of profound openness and devotion. Tantra means to weave like you're weaving a tapestry of your life, that it, it's, not just, it's not just the pretty things, it's not just what we see as our practice, but it's everything. Trungpa said, don't get into Tantra. If you do, you must surrender. After surrender, there's no hope of survival. No more games to show yourself that you exist. The complete surrender needed is a surrender to groundlessness, no place of security. Opening to grace in every moment is one of the ways of this surrender. Seeing no distinction between the mundane and the spiritual, between the sacred and the profane. Opening to each moment fully. And another way of this tantric practice is catching hold of the first moment of perception rather than naming rest in the feeling of the arising perception. Theistic way is opening to grace in every moment, and the other way is just catching hold of the first moments, like you're surfing reality, you're surfing time. You're just right in that ever-changing moment, not falling off the surfboard into understanding or figuring out, or what am I going to do next? So according to Tantra, the world is real, but it is internal to awareness. Everything is a form of divine consciousness. Tantra does not teach renunciation, since all of the world is God. This tends to encourage us to honor everybody else. And then finally, moving on to non-dual devotion. It's almost an oxymoron. Resting in non-duality and having devotion to something. Uh, How can we have devotion to something if, if everything is the same? In Buddhism, there's the notion of the relative deity and the absolute deity. The relative deity that we are beginning to realize that is our nature in Tantra uh, begins to be understood as the absolute deity. That it's not, it's not that I'm Hanuman, that I'm a monkey with a tail, but that my true nature is the same of the nature of Hanuman or of Buddha. Right? That, that there's this empty nature as we go more and more deeply into mantra or repeating the name, there's this saying, the whole universe is densely permeated with God's name. That is the Saint Namdev says that. The name isn't just the sound coming out of our mouth, but it permeates the computer screen you're looking at, or it it permeates your body or the clothes that you have on. So that finally in non-dual devotion, we completely die into love. Maharaji said, the only thing that's important is how much you love God. Meditate like Christ. Christ was lost in love. He was one with all beings, and he had great love for all the world. He was crucified so that his spirit could spread throughout the world. He was one with God. He sacrificed his body for the Dharma. He never died. He never died. So it's dying into love that who you and I are, we disappear into love. You felt that at times. I felt that at times. And yet, it's so challenging because it's the death of the ego. Any place where we're still afraid of death is going to cause us to be pulling back from this dying into love. And I'm not suggesting that we don't go to psychotherapy or have body work or deal with our obscurations quote unquote at times but can we also explore just this radical surrender into love this this sense that we don't need to ask god for anything other than just glorifying the nature of reality glorifying buddha nature we can spend lifetimes Preparing for the surrender we can get grounded and centered and we can really deepen our mindfulness and we can Deepen our concentration and we can work with compassion for all that we see out there But how long do we do that until we're saying okay now? now I can surrender into wholeness and In my experience that practice of non-dual devotion is best, best practiced in short bursts, that you spend a minute here, two minutes there, just dying into love. Maybe it's hard to do that when you're driving in a, in, on the freeway or you're listening to the news, but eventually, can we begin to integrate radical surrender into mundane existence? And the answer, of course, is yes. Uh, that was a lot of quotes and a lot of ideas and in my own personal life right now, a couple friends I know are very ill and I'm also doing this work with seeing wholeness in people rather than than fixing them or seeing what needs to be fixed. And it's it's really the same as devotion, but devotion brought into life, uh, into into daily life. I don't know. I'm, I'm a very stubborn person, and it's taken me... I'm, I'm going to have a birthday in, in uh, two weeks, and I'm going to be even a year older, apparently. I've had the great blessing of being around so many wonderful teachers, the best teachers in the world that I could find. I would go, go to them. So I, I, I'm not pretending that what I'm saying is an easy thing to do. It's a simple thing. Ask yourself, what is important? What is it that you really want? Have you had the experience of resting in that place? And is there something more important than finding out how to be there all the time to let go of these delusions of separateness and that I have to protect myself, that my heart got hurt because that person wasn't who I thought she was going to be, that he was going to be? Can you have the courage, the lion-like courage, to trust the innate tenderness the innate uh, kindness of your heart rather than having to protect and again and again just with the next breath surrender into that devotion surrender into that love surrender into that which you have faith in so there's so often there's disappointment in that gap between what we want to be and how we're living and We can get stuck in that gap a lot. We can get stuck trying to fix things. There is a practice called guru yoga. And it doesn't mean you have to have a guru, but that you're imagining perfection in front of you. And you're just merging into it again and again. And can you just imagine merging into that wholeness? Can you imagine that any place in you that feels inadequate is only an illusion. What does that feel like? What does it feel like to surrender? Your body is made out of exactly the same substance as the body of the Buddha. Every cell of your body a pure expression of consciousness. If our devotion is only to the protective we're going to have a very difficult time when our lives are chaotic when when the bank account goes shooting down instead of shooting up when the the partner is looking at you like who the hell are you or any of those things when when those things are going on then that's kali that's that's shiva can we keep our heart open then or is the heart only open when the environment is being supportive enough? Can you love the chaos? Can you see that the chaos, if God exists, it can only, God can only be everything. It's not only the good stuff. It's also the bad stuff, the difficult stuff, the chaos, the war, the cancer, the destruction. And Kali is showing us that. She's destroying the places where we are rejecting certain parts of our existence as divine. She's saying, you don't think that's holy? Here, I'm going to eat that part of you. You don't think that's sacred? I'm going to eat that part of you. Until then, you see that everything that remains is just as sacred as everything else. Which doesn't mean that you don't have compassion for the suffering of other people, that you don't work with places where people are caught, where you still are caught yourself at times. In the West, I think that that it's really useful for people to begin to more deeply investigate their relationship with the fierce and wrathful and the transformative and the destructive qualities of the sacred. Tantric devotion and then non-dual devotion can't happen until we feel strong enough and empowered enough and embodied enough to be able to deal with with Kali and her destructive nature. I would guess that everybody in this room as at one time or another has been in front of your altar or your puja table or you're out of nature or something, you say, I want to be free, whatever it takes, bring it on. And then you can't believe how ruthless God is in doing that, that what's brought to you I mean, I was just talking to somebody a couple days ago who's was having all these, I even forget who it was, but somebody was kind of complaining about something, and yet she was really on the path, but she couldn't believe that all this mundane bullshit was part of the path. Could she get beyond that so she could get back on the path again? That is the path. It's all the path. Thank you. Okay. Well,
1: question um you said something in the very beginning there's nothing more whole than a broken heart yes who had said that i wanted to look more into that
0: well what is a broken heart a broken heart is one that has broken open that we're not we're not holding it together we're not saying my heart is protected, it's all in one piece, but it's been shattered by our experience. It's been broken by the death of those we love. It's been broken by the finite clunky nature of having a a body that we're dragging around. It's broken by looking at how much suffering we see around us and how much ignorance and aggression there is in the world. So that when we finally allow ourselves to have a broken heart, Then it's whole. As long as we're not wanting it to be broken, we're not really being with the entirety of the heart. Broken doesn't mean something's wrong with it, it means it's broken open. And in fact, several uh, teachers say very directly that in those places where your heart is broken, there God can enter in. It's in the broken places, it's in the cracks that God enters in and becomes alive. As long as the heart is one big piece, there's not a space for, for the sacred to enter in. So, I mean, it is a slightly misleading metaphor. Broken sounds like it's a bad thing, but it's cracked open. It's not protected anymore. And it's willing to be broken moment to moment to moment. I mean, right now, I had high hopes for today's talk, and I felt it was a little bit mindy. I didn't, I, I didn't feel my heart as much as I would like during the talk today. I'll admit that. As I say that, as I feel that, uh, can my heart break a little bit? Can I realize that? Okay, some so, some days my energy is this way, some days it's that way. Just being in this room, some of you have been here for the last year. We've been doing this since March of just when the pandemic begun. And I I know some of you quite well, some of you a bit, and some of you not at all. But I know a lot of stories about what's what's going on in the lives of people in this room. Can I remember that people have their parents dying and their houses almost burning down and and their their children dying and uh, all the different things that have been happening and let my heart really break And break to my own finiteness. So right now, can you just do 20 seconds of Guru Yoga? Can you imagine in front of you is the deity? Because it's everywhere. And as that's in front of you, can you feel that awe and wonder and, and connection? And begin to realize that your your body is made out of exactly the same substance as the body of the buddha the body of the christ the body of the mother the body of kali you are kali you are shiva you are christ and just do that again and again a hundred times a day and then starting to see other people i do yeah john
1: Hi. Right. Thank you. Um, it's interesting your last comment and what you said before about seeing the divine in others, the teacher and others and so on. And I think as a Western person, I had this habit of, um, idealizing teachers as if they had something that I lacked. And that was part of my devotion. Um, right. So it's, and it's, that's not just on the spiritual path, that's also psychologically. I did that with other people. I would kind of hide myself and elevate them. Um, but if so, there's like a fine line there for me between thinking I lack something and seeing the divine in someone else and actually embracing that sense of everything and everyone is a teacher. When you say it, I don't experience that <laughs> in a certain way because I feel like you're talking about what you see
0: and that's because I'm so neurotic you don't look up to
1: me. No. <laughs> that's well, it's, it's because you don't hide. You don't hide who you are. You speak from a sense of wholeness. So anyway, that's
0: so once again, yeah. uh, there are there are stages to devotion and to practice. And my experience is that People's relationship with the spiritual path is fairly uh, correlated with how psychologically integrated they are. So that in the beginning, people need, they're, they're younger, they're immature. They need to look at the path or the teacher as a parent figure. The teaching, the teacher, the path that here's somebody that i can i i need to trust because i can't take care of myself they're better than i am they're the adult in the room i'm the child in the room and people can spend lifetimes in that relationship with the spiritual life if you will and then you begin to enter adolescence where you get kind of angry at these authority figures and say i don't need i don't need any parent I'm, i've got my own driver's license now i don't need you guys and people get very reactive to groups and, and the church and religion and God and saying "oh," pushing it away. And then finally, you become an adult, and you don't need to push it away, but you don't see it as something that's greater than you. It's it's. But these are developmental stages. You can't just pretend you're in you're a grown up when there's still a bunch of you that's a, an adolescent or a child, right? So. Do we judge ourselves or other people for being a a child? No, a child is a child. It's a stage in development. A physical child, a spiritual child. So when you see people who are acting childish, people who are really attached to a a religion or a church or a teacher, uh, instead of judging, can we see them as children? There's an immaturity that needs to ripen. And it can be a kind of ugly picture in a certain way sometimes. And somebody's really attached, I'm right, you're wrong. Who do you think you are? You're you're not on the right way, the one way. My way is the only way. That's a very immature view.
1: So, Rhonda? Yeah. So, uh, there's a question on the chat for you uh, about... Could you address the idea that there are dangerous people
0: that need to be acknowledged as dangerous? Yeah, I don't know why that's the question. I mean, of course there are dangerous people. I mean, I I have, uh, there are people that have these big discussions, does evil exist or not? And whether you call it evil is uh, maybe a matter of semantics, but... Yeah, I mean, certainly there are dangerous people, and just the fact that we see it all as as God doesn't mean that we become stupid. The more open, the, the more global our devotion is, the more clearly we will see the danger, the illusion, the ignorance, the aggression in the world. We won't be caught in our own concepts about things. We'll see things clearly. And... A fierce compassion which is able to say no, a fierce love that's able to love the dangerous but but realize the dangerous nature is certainly uh, the outcome of practice here. So that devotion doesn't mean we become kind of insipid. And that's kind of what I was getting at before when I said that in the West we don't appreciate the fierce, wrathful aspects of the divine as much as they do in other cultures. So that we have a harder time with the dangerous, the harder time with the difficult. We tend to push it away rather than being able to be in the chaos. And I remember once, I've told this story before, but a bunch of us were at Maharaji's temple and he was off talking to some other people. So we were gossiping there about something who knows what and having a conversation. And Dada, one of Maharaji's oldest uh, devotees, a very beautiful guy, overheard us. And he said, you Westerners are so mistaken. You think God, you think Maharaji is only the good stuff that comes in your lives. He brings you only the positive. No, it's everything. The bad and the good, the difficult and the easy. It's all God. It's all Maharaji bringing you life, if you will. So that includes the dangerous, then that's a place that you could surrender a little more deeply.
1: Absolutely. Thank okay. you. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, why don't we do a guided meditation for 20 minutes? Please begin by examining your motivation. Remembering times when you have felt deep devotion, deep faith. What it was like to be resting in faith and how again and again our need to understand and improve, pulls us out of trusting this resting. What, what would it be like to rest in this faith moment to moment, minute to minute, day to day? And with this motivation, then please invoke that which you trust, the deity, the Dharma, your own true self, Buddha nature, Kali. Letting this trust deepen and allow you to be with the experience as it arises moment to moment, whether it's pleasant, whether it's chaotic, whether there's anxiety or agitation. What are you willing to reach out for? What are you willing to be touched by? Being willing to receive, love, grounding, the mother, support, Nourishment, if you love God you overcome all impurities. Devotion brings energy and interest to practice, revealing the innate tenderness of the heart. There is nothing more whole than a broken heart. Imagine in front of you the embodiment of that which you invoked in the beginning, the spirit of love, the spirit of truth, the mother, the Christ, the Buddha, your own true self. This being is made out of pure consciousness, radiant golden light. Feel in your body what it is like to be sitting across from this being. Opening love, devotion, compassion for any place that you pull back from relationship. Out of the heart of this being comes a ray of golden light into your body. It begins to fill your heart and begins to spread throughout every cell of your body. Purifying any obscurations so that you begin to realize that every cell of your body... is made out of exactly the same substance as the embodiment of that which you invoked. Pure consciousness heart, boundless nature. And very gradually then your body and the body of that which you invoke begins to come towards each other, Until they merge into one body, the shape of your body, you in no way separate from the embodiment of perfection and wisdom. then gradually this body itself begins to dissolve into spaciousness that even though you're still sitting in your room you are also infinite spaciousness even though you're sitting there embodied breathing grounded and centered You fill all the universe. Consciousness inside your physical body. Outside in the vicinity of your body. Filling the room in which you're sitting. And letting that expand further until it fills the whole universe. At one and the same time, finite and infinite, human and divine. Not lost in either the dual nor the non-dual. all of this physical reality interior to consciousness yet completely real in this openness there is naturally arising compassionate activity any place where there is discomfort in the body or in the mind any place that you know there is pain in others, the devotional, open, compassionate heart meets that experience. Com- compassion supporting this open devotion so that suffering doesn't automatically cause the heart to close. The heart can remain broken open, even though there's vast suffering on this earth plane. All the loss, all the clinging, all the need All the death and destruction, the chaos, as well as the the beauty, the generosity. Not getting lost in or pulling back from any of it. floating easily in this profound simplicity. Always remembering that Your body and the body of the beloved are one body. There is no impurity. Beyond impurity and purity. Can we rest in this boundless spaciousness, and at the same time, be with the next out-breath, letting go, dying into this letting go, the next in-breath being born again. Compassion for self, compassion for all other beings. Compassion, our true nature, a state of being, rather than something we have to try to do better at. The natural expression of this innate openness. All beings be free from suffering. May they realize the free and boundless nature of their minds.